Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we are going to talk about inventing your future. Yes. Jeez, that sounds like a big one. It feels like a big one, Jonathan. Well, we have been talking on and off about, you know, everything crazy that's going on and how the world is kind of in a holding pattern and what to do about it. And, and I think in a recent episode called Letting Go, we sort of talked about the past and it sort of focused on stuff you have that maybe isn't serving you anymore in, in stuff. I'm including physical objects and uh, emotional baggage and stories you tell yourself and your worldview, potentially all of these different things that sort of called into attention. And it's a great kick in the pants to reevaluate things that maybe need some reevaluation or haven't been looked at in a long time. But that was very, it was very backward looking. It wasn't, we didn't really talk that much about, okay, great. What to do next? Like now that you've sort of mm-hmm. increased the, the uh, area in which you can play, so to speak, like this fence has been closing in around you and, and you delete, 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 delete. And all of a sudden you've got this huge area to roam around in. Uh, and we said repeatedly that that can create, it creates freedom, which can create anxiety. So what do you do next? What, what are the, you know, what is true? What can you pivot to, or how can you rethink like, as everything is kind of in this malleable flux state, what can you do? What steps can you take? Or how can you think about looking to the future and creating something new that you love? That's like really great. Yeah, I feel like, you know, this is really an unprecedented opportunity, at least in our lifetime so far, where the whole world is changing all at the same time, right? We're all going through this you know, experience this scary anxiety producing experience together. And I feel like in many ways it wipes from a, from a working standpoint, it wipes the slate clean. And so I like to think about this as how can you look at the world and how can you invent this new future for yourself? And you know, this is just me, Jonathan, I, we may come at this from, different viewpoints will be interesting to see. Um, But I think one of the things that's really interesting is to imagine what that future looks like. And I'm not talking about your business at this point, but just what do you think is going to happen in the world? Mm -hmm. Right? You know, take something simple like, will there be um, big events again? You know, do you believe that there will be? Um, Do you believe that they'll be changed forever? Do you believe that it's just going to be, you know, six months, nine months, 18 months, and then things are going to shift? You know, when you start to think through your own lens about what that future looks like, I I feel like it's freeing in a way because at this point, you're not connecting it with your business yet. You're just saying, hmm, this is what I think might happen in the world. And of course, you can test those assumptions with other people in and outside your your niche or your expertise but that's where i'm kind of thinking about starting with this because i feel like there's there's just it's a it's an it's just a different time and Mm -hmm. it's in many ways the perfect time to think about what you want your future to look like right so i think there's it's interesting because obviously no one can really predict it but you've said you said a couple times like think about what it could be like what what do you think what do you think might happen of course you're not going to know no one's going to know but how do you feel about you know 
when you would want to get back on a plane or ha- or would go to mm-hmm. a baseball game at a stadium or a concert or go to a conference or whatever, you know, like whatever the things are, just think about, uh, you know, how you might react to it. Ask people around you how they might react to it and just like sort of kind of take the temperature of the universe on like <laughs> how this is probably, you know, not probably, but could play out. And, and that's the one that's the one sort of, that's like the, the vision type of thing. Oh, I have a vision. It's like you're trying to imagine a future. So it's sort of like a visioning yeah. exercise in a sense. You're, you're putting some dots on a piece of paper. Yeah, yeah. It's fuzzy, of course. But then there's also this flip side to it that I really like, which is the stuff that you know is going to be true. What stuff do you know is going to be true in the future? That, you know, like I love this quote from Jeff Bezos where, you know, some guy at a tech conference asked him like, what? what's going to be the new rage in 10 years? And he's like, actually, I think the more interesting question is what's going to be exactly the same in 10 years? Cause I'd rather bet on that. You know, he's <laughs> like, people are always going to want their stuff faster and they're always going to want it cheaper. So if we can do that, I'm positive in 10 years, people are still going to want it. And as a tech guy, when I heard that years ago, I was like, Whoa, that yeah. is a huge, that's a game changer. Upside so, down. Yeah. It flips it around. So if you think, if you think about this sort of core principles, you know, you're in a service business, probably. Um, what, what, what thing, you know, you're, you've been solving problems for your clients in the past, you're solving problems for your clients now, and you're going to be solving problems for your clients in the future. So that's not going to change. The problems are, will probably change. So that's the, to me, those are the two, the two poles where if you're trying to triangulate, those are the, the two points, like what's not going to change. And then and then all the stuff that probably is going to change, what might it look like? What might it turn into? And then try and kind of, you know, spelunk your way in that direction. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It, there's a, a, a client of mine who um, thinks nothing or thought nothing of getting on a plane and jetting all over the world. And, and he's a very, you know, in high demand global consultant. And so I was having an email conversation with him and said, so what are you thinking about all this? And he said, you know, until there's a vaccine, I kind of can't really picture myself on one of these long haul flights. And what had happened um, in the course of, I don't know, maybe we spoke four weeks into it, something like that, or emailed four weeks in, um, is that his work started tilting toward coaching. Um, because that's something, yeah, that's something you can do on a phone or on a Zoom. You don't have to be physically there. And he said, you know, I'm liking this. Uh, the clients seem to be liking this, you know, too soon to tell. But I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be getting on a plane. Um, and, and this is, a, you know, an independent consultant. This is not somebody working for, a, you know, a global firm, which might have a, that person might have a different experience. But right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people will be rethinking what they want to do and how they want to do it. Has there been anything that has been that way for you? Like, are you kind of going through this exercise now for yourself and maybe coming to any conclusions or too soon to say, or what do you think? For me, it's too soon to say. I mean, the one thing that I just noticed, just an observation, is that all of a sudden more people were interested in my group coaching, which is a much lower price point, mm-hmm. right? It's all virtual, but my other coaching is virtual too, but it's a lower price point. And I think more importantly is that there's other people that they can compare notes with and experience with it. I feel like they're looking for a little bit more connection. 
And my audience has never been a big kumbaya kind of group. Um, and it's, I don't know if this is, has something to do with me and how I operate and what they, you know, what they expect from me. But they're, they're, we have lots of one-to-one relationships, but not a lot of group relationships. And I'm seeing that shift a little bit. Mm. So I don't, you know, it's just an observation. I don't know if that's something that will stay or not, but I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm looking at it to see, hmm. What do I what do I do with that? Um, and then the other thing is this question about you know in person events, which I don't do many of those. Haven't done one for quite a while, but I was I was thinking about doing one, and um, I I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm not sure I would have done it anyway. I was just it was in the periphery of my thinking, but you know I'm not going to do that. But yeah, for me, I want to look and see what are consultants. Uh, primarily independent consultants, what are they looking at and how do they see their lives being different? And and from my perspective, the other thing that I'm seeing for them, not for me, is that when their clients are not virtual, that things are going to change about how they meet with them, how they interact with them, how they sell business. And when you, can you clarify that when you, when you say clients aren't virtual? Yeah, so so if you if your client is like Fortune 500 companies, you know, they're in offices and they're used to going to an office. And so the way that you serve people that are in an office is more likely to be that you go to their office, that you interact with them in person, which means if you're not a local consultant, you get on a plane and you go visit them. So what happens with that organization, that client, if the, the change that comes out of all this is that they're more virtual than they used to be. Got it. If your client situation changes, how does that impact how you sell and deliver your services? So I can see that happening. I, mean, I saw that happening in 2008, which is when I went 100% virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a little painful at first, frankly. <laughs> you know, I was doing things a little differently and selling on Twitter, like who sells on Twitter? Um, but that's, I, I feel like it's another version of that. And people that are, have been truly office bound, which are not my clients, but are my clients' clients, I, I imagine that their lives are going to change. Yeah, like if the work from home thing doesn't snap all the way back, which I imagine it won't. Yeah, it's a it's an open question for sure. Yeah, and it, it may be different in places like New York, where it's you know you've got great mass transit. You know, you hop on, assuming you you want to get on mass transit now, you hop on and you go to your office. But if you're in a place like like LA, everything's spread out. You get in your car. Will people still want to sit in a car for forty five minutes to get to an office? Forty five minutes. Come on. What? Isn't LA more like two hours? <laughs> well, de- yeah, it depends where where you live, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So being, being polite, yeah. So I have uh, noticed some similar things thinking about the future. I, I've I've always thought like work from home made a lot of sense, or at least working remotely made a lot of sense. It it ties a bunch of trends together. That it just seems inevitable that we're just going to get more and more uh, turn more and more into remote working you know, for the kinds of jobs mm-hmm. that can do it, obviously, you know, knowledge work type stuff. And that it just seems like, like in this, probably in this one year, we're going to have like 10 years of movement on that thing that's been slowly glacially moving forward. It's it's like, that's like a great example of something that's a pretty fundamental shift in 
uh, how people work. And assuming most people listening to this are B2B type of people, that's going to have an effect. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of, you know, I've seen businesses cropping up around, you know, how to manage a remote team or how to build a remote team or, you know, how to use the technology to do these sorts of things remotely. And I mean, and that's just one thing out of probably dozens and dozens and dozens of things that will affect your clients that, you know, are probably in flux and changing. And you can participate in that conversation now to kind of help guide them to something that's going to be useful or like productive for them in the future. And along the way, you're sort of defining their future, but your future at the same time. So it's kind of like you could be moving the, the relationship in that direction. Well, yeah, because you can be a sounding board for people. Because one of the challenges, you know, when you're in one of those corporate roles, especially if you're, you know, you're this the C leader for that function, you are the leader for in the um, the focal point for all the people in that group. And that person typically doesn't have any place to go to talk about those kinds of things. Yes. Right. That's safe because if it's a typical Fortune 500, everybody's fighting for this top job. So you can't really go to your colleagues. Right. And you can't really go to your team for those kinds of things. So you look to the outside and that's where, you know, when you're a professional advisor, that's where you offer so much help and in a way that feels like a friendship. And it is. It's a deepening of the relationship because by being there for them and being a sounding board, I mean, I just can't can't overestimate how how helpful and valuable that is. Right. Yeah. And to be rare. Able to talk. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it a bunch of times. People who haven't service providers who haven't coached or advised people at that level just don't. They just don't understand how like how valuable that is to folks in that position because they have no one. No one. Like you said, there's like can't really trust who to talk to. And even, even if it wasn't like a backstabby type of situation, talking to your colleagues is like, they've all got skin in the game and they've got like, they're not going to have the same perspective as an outsider. So, you know, maybe this is a time. So to pull that back to the theme, maybe this is a time just to be moving up the sort of what I would call increasing your altitude of involvement with your clients, you know, talking about Mm -hmm. bigger picture things. It's funny now that I say that out loud, I've been noticing been noticing on my daily list started talking about things that are a little bit more yoda like um (laughs) you know like like these core principles that aren't going to change like 10 years from now your clients are still going to need you to help them 10 years from now pricing is still going to work the same way you need to you know sell stuff that's worth way less like you need to sell stuff that's worth um a lot to clients at a cost that is not much to you you know like the math of profits is going to be the same. So I've kind of been thinking about both things. And that's probably why I've been sending out some of these kind of more cryptic, short principles. Some, somebody in of, your Slack channel called them haiku, called one of them a haiku. haiku and I think right. that's exactly right. It's like a haiku. It's technically maybe not the right number of syllables, but right. it, it's haiku-like for sure. Right. And, and it's the flip side of this, you know, there's uncertain future. Maybe we can chart out a couple of things like maybe more people are going to be working from home in 2021 than in way more than in 2019. But what's always going to be true, your clients are going to need you to solve problems for them. And, and you know, profits are going to work the same way. You need to, you know, buy low and sell high. Like that's just <laughs> true. <laughs> so 
it's kind of like, and it, it's sort of like a different version of what you were just saying, or we were talking about moving up the, the altitude, the kind of the, I mean, maybe working with the same contact still, but talking about things that are bigger picture. So, yes. or, you know, it's weird, bigger picture, but at the same time, they're more foundational. So it's, you know, what are the, what are the first principles or what's the, what are the core truths that probably are highly unlikely to change? And how does that impact the relationship? How can you deliver more value? How can you help more? Uh, and, and if you took our advice in previous episodes, if you're like letting go of these old ideas uh, that maybe aren't serving you anymore and cutting lines to these anchors that maybe provided stability and safety at one time, but are now holding you back from cruising or innovating or thinking outside the box, so to speak creating like having those two things in mind at the same time feels to me like the path forward where you've got truths that you're sure aren't going to change like you can't imagine a world where they change and then you've got these other things where everything's going to change but if i had to guess i would say you know more people are going to work from home in 2021 yeah it's it's a strategic way to look at the future and it's also a way to take a lot of the emotion out of it because you know, it's like sunk costs in, in finance, mm. right? We've invested ourselves in different things, whether it's physical stuff or ideas or these, these belief systems. And it's, it's, it's almost easier to leave them unexamined for the moment and instead look forward and say, what do I think is going to happen? What do I think is most likely? And how does that tie to the things I'm really good at? And if you've already got an audience, whether it's clients or a group of people that you hope will become clients, how, how does that mesh? How does what I think is happening out here mesh with what I love to do and the group that I want to serve? And when you do that, it allows you to detach from the things that are already working or not working in your business. It, it just allows you to see it a different way. Does it mean you have to pull the trigger? on all of those things, you probably won't until you then go back and say, okay, so how does that compare with what I have set up now? Exactly. What do I keep? What has to go? But it gives you a way to look at it, you know, a little less emotionally and a little bit more strategically. Yes. I, and I love that you brought up sunk costs because I think that that same exact psychology is what's at play, uh, at least in part with all of the stuff you've set up for yourself so far. So you've got, because you've created like, like uh, by creating, let's, let's just call it routines or procedures or buying so particular kinds of software, um, investing mental energy into coming up with a sales page or a proposal format or all of these things that you do when you're trying to optimize a business, those same things become switching costs when you want to mm. do something different. And, and it's like, here's an example from my world where I had, um, I, I hired a developer, which is, you know, not something I normally do being a developer, but I hired a developer to build some automation software for me to take care of a particular thing that had to do with the pricing seminar. And I think it was like, I spent like a thousand or 1500 bucks on that or something. And it, it worked, it worked great. It's fine. It was great. But at, at the same time, putting that money into that solution, it was specific to Slack. It was like an automation to, to 
that worked with Slack that did a specific thing, that binds me, that locks me into Slack. That 1500 bucks mm-hmm. that I spent makes it harder for me to decide to switch off of Slack to something else. And I'm, I'm not considering that idea, but it's just an example yeah. of like, okay, here's this investment that I made in a particular platform. Mm-hmm. And that's a really obvious one to, and it's, and it's not a ton of money. So you could say, well, oh, well, that's not that big a deal. If there's a better solution that comes along, like why not switch to it? You know, like, oh, and he's a different platform for whatever reason, it's a better, it's better suited. It's not going to be that hard to throw away the idea of $1,500 that I invested in it for something better two years later after I got a lot of use out of it. It's much harder when the, the sunk cost that you've got is like, I, I, went to law school for four years or however long you go to law school and I passed the bar and I'm still, I'm still paying off the loans, uh, but I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. Yeah. That's it's still the same thing though. It's the same sunk it's cost. The same principle. Yes. Right. And so that was, that was those sorts of things are the kind of things we were talking about, you know, letting go of. And I like the exercise, the way you framed it to say like, look, you don't have, you just daydream about, what might happen, grab a pen and a piece of paper, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, and then what could you do on the co- this combination of things that are almost certainly going to be true and things that are maybe going to be true that you're just taking wild guesses at, what would you have to change? You know, and then you so look backwards, like what would you have to change to move in those directions? And it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like asking yourself, what are the invisible anchors that are would be holding me back from doing this? What are the things that are holding me back? And then it's kind of like reversing the exercise from last time or two mm-hmm. times ago where we'd say like, well, what would I have, to, which, which anchor lines would I have to cut to move in this direction? And if you look back and look, geez, you know what? I don't really care about those two anchor lines anymore. Or, or you know what? Yeah. That one anchor line, that law school anchor line, is really strong and but at the same time i just can't imagine a future that i'm going to be happy staying on that course or staying well not even on that course like staying right where i am maybe you use it to say you know what i'm going to serve lawyers because you know i am one but i don't want to be a lawyer (laughs) you know i want to teach them how to do something else right yeah yeah it's not like it's not like oh i'm going to open a knitting store it doesn't have to be like that dramatic it's it can be I mean, from the outside to to an outsider, it wouldn't seem that radical to me to to hear like, oh, this like lawyer ended up going into uh, trial consulting. It doesn't seem radical at all to me. Mm-hmm. But to the to the lawyer, that would be a huge shift in behavior and daily activities, and you know, the kind of business model and marketing, all of that stuff would be really really different. But from the outside, it makes total sense. Like, oh, right. I just decided to. <laughs> it's funny from the outside it doesn't seem like a big deal but I know from the inside that it is well and I think the other thing is that there's an opportunity here uh, again assuming it makes strategic sense to you and your businesses you can zig while everybody else is zagging mm-hmm. you know I just listened to a podcast I'm not sure which one it was and somebody said if I hear another if I read another article about working from home I'm gonna vomit yeah. and I, I just laughed I'm like yeah you know I, I get that it's it's about going the other direction um, writing about or talking about or developing ideas on things that other people haven't hit on yet or they haven't hit on with the depth that you would like to that's even better where the ideas being talked about but you really start you know building it out 
There's, there's, there's a lot of, and yes, I'm going to use the opportunity word. There is a lot of opportunity to do something different right now. Yep. And to set yourself up for whatever this future that you're imagining for yourself looks like. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you that just reminded me of another anchor sort of story people tell themselves that makes me want to vomit every time I hear it, <laughs> which is in a tough economy, we need to really tighten our belt and people aren't going to be spending money. And yes. that is the biggest load of BS. Like, yes, there will be lots of companies that go out of business. There will be companies who, who have uh, hiring freezes and spending freezes and they cut everything. Yeah, that's true. And probably maybe the percentage is going to be greater than 50%. Maybe it's going to be 80%. But guess what? You couldn't serve one-tenth of a thousandth of a percent of the companies in the world. And there are going to be plenty of companies who are spending money on stuff they value. So the, the trick isn't to figure out how to convince these companies that are belt tightening to hire you or that the thing that you use to sell is valuable. The trick is to find the companies who value what you do or find companies who are spending money that w would value something you could do in the future. Money's not going to stop getting spent. The priorities are the yeah. thing that's changing. The priorities well, are changing. And it's a, it's a mindset. And when you adopt a mindset, like the way you opened that, that whole paragraph you just said, right? If, if you adopt the mindset that, you know, hey, nobody's spending money on this, well, you might as well just throw in the towel now. Yeah, exactly. Right. And yeah, that's, yeah. And that's, that's not you. That's, no. that's, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, that is not you. Um, this is, you know, it's an opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> what's the big deal <laughs> yeah i really listen i've i've reinvented myself so many times i've lost count so you know i know it can be done i know it isn't easy it's you know it's never easy you know the good things in life worth having are very seldom the easiest things in front of your your reach right. but yeah but I, I really do believe that decoupling the future with the past is is a great exercise because if you can just you know, let go to use the title from two episodes ago if you can just yeah. like let go of that temporarily right if you can just kind of put it behind you and say it doesn't matter what i studied to do none of that matters uh, it doesn't matter who my clients are now well it maybe it, it does if you like them and if you don't then it really doesn't matter um and and you start to envision the future without thinking about the ties and then once you have that that vision even if it's still kind of fuzzy it's okay um, you can look back and say, okay, so now what do I think is definitely going to fit in this new future? What do I definitely want to take with me? And what are the things maybe I really don't care about? And who or what else do I need to get me closer to this future? And it's usually about um, ideas and relationships. You know, in, in our mm -hmm. kinds of businesses, it usually boils down to those two things. Right. Yeah, and there's one thing, there's a little uh, sort of rescue line I want to throw to the, the dear listener because I talked to a bunch of people who are open to this idea of kind of brainstorming about the future and thinking about, you know, how would they reposition themselves, uh, even on a normal year, never mind like a crazy year. And a lot of people's minds understandably switch to, well, how do I pick a target market? How do I decide what to specialize in? You know, where is the 
what are the steps? Tell me the steps to take to find my perfect future. And it's like, it's like, it's not about, to me, it's not about capturing an opportunity, like recognizing an opportunity and then going after it. That That's, it's not, it's partially that I suppose it's, but I, I don't see it like that. And the people who ask me these questions, it feels like they're asking in a way of like, where can I, where's the money? Where can I find the money? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the, that's not a useful way to think about it. A more useful way to think about it. And like the, the, the thing that you can use for a compass as you're going through this brainstorming exercise, because you probably, if you did a brainstorming exercise like this and you made a list of all the things that you're sure are going to be true for the rest of your life and a bunch of things that you're sure probably are going to change into X, then it's like, okay, where, where, where could I fit in this picture? It's not about looking for the money. It's more like you want to imagine, like you just sort of picture it and like, would that make me happy? Would that be helpful to people? Would that be uh, fulfilling? You know, like you just notice as you, as you look down the different combination of ideas, would you be excited to do that? Like, feel like you cannot leave out that excitement piece, especially for like a, a soloist and someone in a, a, you know, this sort of thought leadery, you know, authority kind of business. If you're not excited about it, it's going to bleed through. Like, if you're just in it for the money, I really don't think it's going to work. I, I, I can't think of anybody I know who's not excited about, uh, or at least finds, finds what they're doing meaningful and fulfilling in some kind of way, important, you know, like important to the people right. in right. the audience or the clients. So it, it's like, if you can figure that piece out, the money part is a detail. You know, it's like, it's like you want to just fund that mission, like find your mission and then figure out how to fund it. And well, that can mean, that can mean just like changing your product mix or your, your service mix. Like, well, maybe you want to serve elementary school teachers, you know, maybe you're already serving school people like school system people, but you really would rather serve the elementary school teachers, but they're, they're broke, Jonathan. I can't serve them. They can't afford my expensive services. We'll sell them something else, you know, make a course, write a book. A, do group things, you know, just, you know, like let go of the idea that all you do is sell one-on-one services or high ticket consulting services and do something that scales to millions of teachers. Like, you know, that's the, that's kind of like, um, the broad kind of thinking, but see the idea of coming up with a product comes second. First, it's like, what would excite me? What would really energize me? You know, you always call it your genius zone. What would, what would allow me to operate in my genius zone and really help these people I want to help, these people that I like. Yeah, because in that in that scenario, the genius zone could be elementary school teachers. The genius zone could be teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's really elementary school teachers, but it's not teaching, and when I say teaching, I mean like a course, mm-hmm. um, then you have to find that, that, that overlap. And so just from a strategic visual viewpoint, this is how I always picture this big picture, is imagine three circles, right? And one circle are all your talents. And another circle is all your passions. And the third circle is a market, which just means that there's some amount of people somewhere that will pay for this. And if they're overlapping, it's that part in the middle, right? right? It's where you've got your talents, you know, your best talents. It's where you're passionate about what you're doing, who you're serving, and that there's a market of people that will pay for it. And so it's hard to invent a market. Um, but you know, you know, elementary school teachers are an existing market. They do buy things. So that is a market, 
right? You just have to find something that's going to fit that, that matches up with their wallet and with your talents and passions or, you know, your genius zone is. Yeah, exactly. I like you remembered that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a good one. So, I mean, what are we, what are we basically saying? It's like, it's like start looking, you know, maybe we've talked about looking backward now. It's like, well, you know, start looking forward and obviously you don't have a crystal ball, but you can make some guesses. And if you combine those guesses with things that you're sure are going to be true, then you could maybe use that as a guiding, uh, sort of like a North star or a compass to kind of, you know, sense your excitement level or, um, whatever the, the thing that you want to do, like, <laughs> look, what do you, you might as well do the thing you want to do. You've got the get out of jail free card. You've got the excuse to make a leap. And as, as I tweeted last night, it's hard to make a leap when you're carrying a bunch of baggage. So you probably have to let go of some stuff if you do want to make the leap. But I think what we're seeing is, is really an interim step first, which is like looking before you leap, like what, what could it look like? You know, so it's a non-threatening exercise where you're just like, eh, just imagine and, and spend, uh, you know, probably, probably not even an hour, like maybe an hour of, of letting your mind kind of freeing your mind from all of this baggage that you might have switching costs, sunk costs, all that stuff. And just think like, okay, what, what could the future look like? And then be aware of your excitement level about any of the options that you come up with. And if, you know, if you feel drained with just things like, Oh God, I don't want to do that. Then obviously that's not a good one for you. <laughs> but if you're like, Oh, that would be so cool. And maybe you've got this secondary voice, like, but how are you going to make money at it? Like you can figure that piece out later. Well, there, there's a, the fear always accompanies something that's greatly exciting, right? right? There's always this like, oh, God, what if I do that and I fall flat on my face? What if I right. do that and I never earn a buck? What if, what if, what if? Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. And you, you potentially, you can imagine, I think it's okay to have those thoughts, of course. You're, you can't yeah. help it. I think it's okay to have them. But if they turn into this like endless cycle of plain old worrying, that's paralyzing. So yeah, the, the antidote awful. to worrying is planning. So... If you come up with all these what ifs, well, answer them, it, you know, have contingency plans. Mm-hmm. What if this happens? Well, you know, what's the worst possible thing that could happen if I fell on my face? Well, I don't know. Go work at Starbucks, get a job, you know, downsize your house. I, I mean, uh, be a little bit embarrassed. Like what, what is the worst thing? I'm sure saber tooth tiger is not going to eat you. Like that's not a risk. Probably not. Probably not. Unless you're tiger king, of course, but, <laughs> but you, it's just not, that's just not going to happen. So, you know, think about the things that could be that excite you, then let your worries bubble up and then list out contingency plans. Like, well, what could I do? You know, there's, of course, there's a million things, depends on the particular worry, whatever it is, line of credit, investment, you know. But I find that so soothing. I, I, I can't be alone with this, where when you start to like write out all that stuff and you make plans and you're like, oh, okay. Yes, yes, I, I can do this, um, and this is what I would do, and this is how I would do it. And all of a sudden, the, the, the anxiety beast is soothed. Yeah. Yeah. It's having, there's something about having more knowledge. And then sometimes, I can think of a, of a business I once wanted to do and didn't start. When I did all that planning and research, I went, whoa, this is a really, really bad idea. <laughs> and, and I just pulled the plug. Yeah. But it's, it, it helps. And you'll wind up using that planning for good if you do pull the trigger. But in the meantime, it, it gives you 
some a feeling of security it you know it washes the unnecessary anxiety away yeah so try it see what happens you know you might find that you might find that you immediately hit on something that would be so much fun like oh that'd be so great yeah or you might be like eh i don't know it's just too much and okay that's fine too it's just like no judgment on the exercise but now is just such a great time to do an exercise like this yes and you know even if you just use the potential futures as a a way to help you look back at any anchors that you really don't need anymore and if that's the and if that's the only change you make like cutting some anchor lines that's still going to be a, a net positive yeah exactly yeah and i think the other thing is because the whole world is going through this at the same time i feel like we have a little bit more of a natural uh, sounding board for this you know, I mean, it's different if you're, I don't know, having a midlife crisis and you feel like you're the only one going through whatever that is. Everybody's dealing with this, you know, from different perspectives and in different um, degrees of, of difficulty. But you're, and when I say friends, I mean like business friends, not just, you know, the guy you went to high school with, but your, your friends um, can help you think through this. Um, you know, as you get these ideas and, and you start to test them, it, it's interesting. I mean, you don't have to believe what other people say about it, but it's interesting to ask them and, you know, kind of shoot some ideas around once you've got, you know, something to work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you need some inspiration, look no further than what the really innovative restaurants have been doing. There's yes. probably in dear listener, wherever you live, there's probably at least one restaurant that's doing something really cool and talk about having to really reinvent yourself. You know, there's, there's a ton of restaurants around just in my area in Providence. They're doing these really cool, like things I hope they don't stop doing later. Mm -hmm. You know, like yep. a brand new, <laughs> it's hilarious. I have to tell this story just cause it's so so there's this bakery near us. It's very popular. They make incredible, incredible pastries. And we go there a lot of times on Sunday. So obviously we haven't been doing that. It's normally jam packed, line out the door kind of place. And they, they had this thing online where you just call ahead, you know, it's like their basically their Instagram account. I don't think they have e-commerce, but you just call ahead, you place an order and you drive up, you print out your little order thing that you order email, you drive up, at your pickup time and you just like push, you just take the piece of paper and put it against your, you know, driver your door window. window. Yeah. And they look at it and they go, okay, you pop your trunk, they put your order in the trunk and you drive away. Like there's no, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just like, I'm like, I, I kind of wish it was like that all the time. Like am I anti-social? Maybe, but. <laughs> but well, who likes standing in line, you know? Right. Like, like who wants to stand in line out the door? But anyway, it's, there's so many examples of restaurants that are doing really cool, innovative things where they're bundling up, you know, like a meal and, and beers and like groceries along, you know, here's, we'll also include eggs and milk and flour, and you can get your chicken on a stick that you love getting. And, you know, we're or allowed we'll to make it a meal plan where you can mm -hmm. make it yourself. I mean, yeah. one in LA was doing their margaritas. You buy one, two, three, or four. <laughs> I just pictured going out of there with some tacos and a pitcher of margaritas. I'm like, you know, that's that's it. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's... And the funny thing is... Now, here's... Okay. It, not to... Uh, we're wrapping up, but I just wanted to... I love, <laughs> I love, love these, our food. 
I love these examples because restaurants are the ones that should be crushed. Like there are many industries that restaurants are surely one of the biggest ones that should just be out of business across the board. But a few, a small number of them are really innovating and creating cool stuff. And here's the thing that I've been noticing, okay? And you're going to love this. The, The restaurants that I love, basically the brands that I love of the local restaurants are the ones that I am extra drawn to. So for the ones that are doing innovative stuff, that I already loved, I can feel the kind of the echo of going there, if that makes any sense. I, yeah, I can that's, feel that's, the brand that's, value. That's the feel. It's an it's emotion. It's they they are binding you closer to them. It's yes. emotional. Right. And I'll bet you tip more than you used to too. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I used to wait on tables so I was already a big tipper. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, but I, I just really, really have been conscious of the brand value of the of the ones that I already loved that are now doing this thing that allows me to um, kind of, I don't know, it just sounds so lame, but like reawaken those, you know, emotions of being on the deck at the hot club in the summer, even though I'm not on the deck of the hot club in the summer, I can get their hot box, which comes with all this fun stuff that is a fun experience. It's not being on the deck, but it, re- it makes me feel, not feel like I'm on the deck, but it reminds me of the feeling I would get on yes. the deck. And it kind of works. It, it does. And it, part of it is because it's not like you can go down the street to another restaurant and have an in-restaurant dining experience. So mm-hmm. it's giving us a taste of what was and a, and a little tiny preview of what will be. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, I, I wrote a piece about this because I, I had a restaurant much like you described that it's just fabulous. They're doing everything right. Love them. And I feel like, I just feel like I love them. And I didn't right. love them before. I mean, it was fine, but I love them now. I right. just love them. There's no, I will, I will go there till they, they close their doors forever. And then the second restaurant, you know, they didn't open they stayed closed, but the owner was doing virtual cocktail parties, which I thought was hysterical. Yeah. And he, he does these great emails. And so, and, and now they're experimenting a little bit with food. And then the third one I mentioned, it's another, you know, well-known restaurant in town. They just shut their doors, boom, closed. I have no idea how they're doing. I have no idea how their employees are. I, I, will that be first on my list to go to when things open up again? No. No. And it's not like I'm saying they're off the list. I want, but I do want to hear how they reopen and what they do and what the story is. But they have all this ground to make up. Mm-hmm. Whereas the first restaurant, I love them. In fact, we were talking about we. You know, my husband always does something special for me on Mother's Day. So he's like, "So where do you want to go?" I'm like, "Well, my favorite place isn't open on Sunday." And we got an email this morning going, "Guess what?" <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do this special Mother's Day and you can pick it up Saturday night or Sunday morning or they deliver. And, um, you know, and they created a menu that's very portable and it could sit overnight if it had to. Hmm. So it's, yeah, it's the restaurants are, look to the restaurants for some ideas. They're fabulous. Yeah. Lots of great ideas. Yeah. If, if, if a restaurant can figure it out, you can figure it out. Yeah. Our, our delivery models for the most part is a whole lot simpler than a restaurant. Uh, yeah, it's built for this. Like it's mm-hmm. built for life in captivity. <laughs> <It's perfect. laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. Do we did we uh, finish beating the horse? Do you think, or just we leave? I don't even know that we beat the horse. We might just 
Like we might just be done, like quietly done instead of <laughs> harming yeah, someone yes. in the process. Yes. Well, maybe we're finally getting the hang of this thing, this <laughs> podcasting thing. Yeah. After 130 episodes, one would hope we learn something. Yes. Um, all right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.